Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin, and I want to welcome you to the 100th episode of the Launch University podcast. Whether you are a first-time listener or long-time listener, I appreciate, and so does the entire team, we appreciate your trusting us with your time uh, so we can invest in your growth. Now, why are we here and what is this all about? Well, we believe that go-getters are always launching something, whether it's a career, a product, or an idea. But oftentimes, we, you, all, uh, we all get stuck in the uncertainty of the next step because we, or we may not have a clear game plan on how to make it happen. And at Launch University, we turn go-getters into difference makers with resources, tools, advice, to get ideas off of the ground. Uh, So we, Kevin, and the rest of the team, Jeff Henderson, Shane Benson, and David Farmer, we have pulled together our collective experiences, our networks, and said, how can we try to scale mentorship? We want to be a team of mentors in your life that can help engage and empower you and hopefully be an accelerant uh, in your personal and professional growth. So we're trying to answer that call to see how we can make sure that you make a difference in your world by maximizing your talents to make an impact. So This is the 100th episode. We've been doing this since September of 2016. So we thought, how could we celebrate what's happened over the past two years? And what jumped to us was, hey, we need to go back because there's a lot of gold in the vault at this point. And we want to make sure we start to uh, repurpose and and share that with you uh, who may have joined us along on this journey. So over the next three episodes, we thought we were just going to do two, but we had so much content, we had to do three episodes. We're going to go back into the archive and just pull out some of the nuggets that have come out of our conversations with so many amazing leaders at this point in time. So before we jump in, I want to give you a heads up. Three episodes, we're going to be breaking down a part one, part two, and a part three. It's not really a best of because we feel like every one of our guests is the best, but we do have some pieces of kind of highlights we just want to jump, uh, pull out uh, that stood up to each of us individually over the time we've been doing this podcast. So today's episode features some incredible people. Uh, first, we're going to start with Dana Spinola, CEO of Fabric, and we had her on episode 69 talking about when passion and heart lead the way and how we can lean into that, how we lean into our vision, our passion, our mission to get us through this uh, process of starting our journey. We're also going to hear from Sid Mashburn, who appeared on episode 16 of the podcast and where he talked about what it what and how he launched the number one men's independent clothing store in the United States. Uh, and both of those conversations took place with both Jeff Henderson and David Farmer. And then uh, we're going to jump into a conversation with two of my good friends, Shannon and Brian Miles of Belay, about what it takes to go all in on your dream. And uh, that was a great conversation they had back on episode 48 with David Farmer. And then there was a conversation with Jeff Schinnerbarger of Plywood People about vision and generosity and how those two can go hand in hand. But 
the clip we're going to share with you actually digs into three main issues that happen in launching and the importance of community as we go forward. So you don't want to miss that because if you've been thinking about maybe how do you avoid some of those blind spots that might be waiting for you in the launching journey, Jeff Schindler Barger is going to share that with us. Uh, we also have Jan Smith of Mama Jam Music. Uh, Jan Smith is a vocal coach to artists like Justin Bieber, Usher, uh, just to name a few. And she talked about what it meant to dream big, stay honest, and be humble uh, with Jeff Henderson as well. Uh, then we have Justin Dean and Van Beard of that church conference. And they're digging into something a little bit more tactical about how to launch when you have a full time job. Um, I think that's a very common reality for many of us is we had to do this or do something for our projects while maintaining full-time employment. And they break down a really cool idea about how to do that. That's really impacted my journey as I went full-time uh, with my business this summer. And we're going to wrap up today's episode or part one of our 100th episode celebration with uh, two clips from panel conversations that we had as a group around two ideas. And one was from episode 86 about how to transition into a new job role after promotion. And the other is how to have a great job interview. The reason we want to share this is because we believe that, yes, you need principles to, to launch well, but you also might just need to get into the practice. Like, what is the tactical thing you might need to do well? We are not the podcast that says, go quit your job. Uh, we are not the podcast that says everything you have in your life is terrible until you're an entrepreneur. We believe that some of us are called to be entrepreneurs, leaders within, people who, who say, is my job to continue to push an existing organization and its mission and its products forward. Uh, and that's what we've had the opportunity to do. Uh, myself, Jeff Henderson, David and Shane. So David and Shane work at Chick-fil-A and have been there many years. And their roles today really involve being entrepreneurs. How do we help this organization continue to grow? Uh, Jeff Henderson has been doing that within North Point Ministries, an organization in the Atlanta area, a group of churches, and among many other things. But he's been one of their launchers, helping launch multiple campuses of churches, going out, raising millions of dollars to start new churches. And then myself, I've been a marketing director for a couple organizations, uh, working with Dave Ramsey's organization, worked with, with another nonprofit called the Rethink Group in Atlanta, Georgia. And my role was to help them launch products. Um, and so the key thing for all of us is we can bring who we are to any organization, any context. And for some of us, that does mean starting our own thing. But our job is to say, hey, there's commonalities in that, re in, in that because there's two common factors in any launch. And that's going to be you and it's going to be uncertainty. And so for our ability as launchers to lock in on how we lead ourselves and then how we navigate uncertainty is always going to be a part of it. I guess there's going to be one third part, right? And that's people, right? You're always going to interact with someone. It's a customer. It's going to be your team, advisors, your spouse. There's going to be other people involved. And so our ability to communicate and connect with others, lead ourselves, and I guess navigate uncertainty is going to be a big part of the journey of launching. And over the next three episodes, we're going to talk about some of those big ideas that can help you do those three things. So before we jump in, you get to hear from Dana. I do want to tell you two things, two simple announcements. One, we are still gearing up for our big community Q&A episode where Jeff, 
Shane, David, and I are going to be around a table answering your questions about launching anything from fundraising to branding to innovation to culture to marketing. Give us your questions. And if we're not the folks to answer it, we will find someone who can. So if you want to do that, we want you to answer a question. And I'm going to tell you how to do that but not until the end of the episode. So you have to hang tight to hear about that. The second thing is this. The very first thing you're going to do when you have an idea is what? Tell someone about it, right? You're going to have to communicate it to someone else, a customer, a colleague, a leader, a boss on your team, even maybe your spouse. And how you do that matters because at the end of the day, a good idea Poorly communicated is going to be a stalled idea, and we'd hate for your ideas to be stalled. We'd hate for to see what you have lost because you just it's, it's falling on deaf ears, but mainly because you're an expert and those who are listening to it may not get it at the level you get it. So we want to help you navigate that. We want to help you communicate your idea with minimum words to get maximum results. And we are when we believe we have the solution to help you do that. And it's called Elevator Pitch. It's a simple, quick online course that can take you just a day of your time and a couple hours of your time on a weekend to refine your idea and make sure you have the words you need to gain traction for people to lean in and say, tell me more about that. So if you need some help with that, go to myelevatorpitch.net, myelevatorpitch.net. We believe that that course is what you've been missing in your process of a launcher. Um, And I can just tell you from firsthand experience that through pitching, through sales presentations, through uh, pitching ideas, that this is the solution I wish someone gave me in my early 20s. Um, If it was a thing that someone gave me fresh out of college when I was full of passion and zeal and ignorance, I would have been a lot further off a lot faster uh, in my journey as a launcher. And so we want to make sure we pay that forward by helping you perfect your pitch because unfortunately, great ideas don't sell themselves. It's a great idea with great communication that gains momentum. So head over to myelevatorpitch.net, get that course today. It's worth the investment in yourself That I promise. Okay, so without further ado, let's jump in as we take you through these clips from each of these fine individuals, starting with Dana Spinola. As you think back to the challenges that you had to go through just to take that original vision and and get it to where you are today, I'd love to hear you talk about what were the biggies that you had to deal with then And here you are today, maybe talk about how far you've come, but what's the big challenge you're wrestling with now? Sure. So I'll start with then, you know, the first time I told this story, it was one of those stories you're like, did that really happen? And why did I continue on? But, you know, hustle became our core value because of this reason. I was working so hard. I was working 80 hours a week, consulting, flying out Sunday, coming back Thursday. I got a job on the weekends at a boutique to make sure this is really what I want to do. And then Every other minute was spent on that business plan. I hate to interrupt you. That's a huge lesson right there for folks that are thinking about something, the way you tested the water, why you still had your primary job that you may may choose to leave, but you weren't just kind of blindly going after it. It's vital because if I didn't like what I was about to create, 
there'd be a real problem because the mantra is, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life. So I needed to make sure I actually loved it. So sorry, but that was big. No, it is big. And that's the advice I tell people now is that I used to say, jump, if you love it, go for it. No, test it. Mm -hmm. Because I've, that's the internship program here. Mm -hmm. Try, we have them try everything so they can say, I don't love that. So I, you know, go through that year. It was a year of my life that, you know, it tests, do I really want to do this? Because you are burning the candle at both ends. And, you know, do I love this? And the night I opened my very first store, you know, the greatest day, sales were incredible. We had a fashion show, all of my friends, the entire city was there. It was as good as it gets. And, um, went home that night. It was about three o'clock and I hadn't slept, you know, just waiting for this event, fell asleep and bright eyed and bushy tail woke up at six o'clock to have my first day of business. Right. Mm-hmm. Walk in. When I say broken into, they had taken everything, glass everywhere. Like literally like from CSI, like the bloods on the window where they broke in, they took my register, they took my stereo system. They took obviously all the clothing, but everything was gone. We were back to zero. Right. Um, but that's the moment I became an entrepreneur for mm. real, because I called my dad, you know, he owns his own gallery. He's my entrepreneur dad. I'm like, who comes and cleans this up? Like what happens now? What's the number phone number? And he's like, I'll get a broom. I'm coming over. Like it's, uh, it's you babe. Like this is it. Mm. And I, mm. I remember that day deciding I just spent all my money. There was no more money. I bought the clothing insurance was not paying for this because the security system did not work. So I'm just sitting there with this, like, hmm, I've got to board up a door on my first day of business. I'm closed. It's not good for business. Right. <laughs> um, but I called, I just, I understood the value of relationships at that moment. I called back every vendor and I said, this is that girl that's trying to open a store. Would you give me 30 days to send me back everything you just sent me? I have no money, but I'm going to sell it and I'm going to pay you back. So that's how I started my career of, do you really want to be an entrepreneur? You know, for most um, folks that are getting started, there is typically a death of a vision moment. Now, I've not heard that story before where somebody came in and literally tried to steal it all from you. But there's a death of a vision moment. And the just the uh, the mental emotional, physical resilience you have to demonstrate to power through that, it speaks to how important your why is. How committed are you to the vision? And if so, you'll just kind of power through the absolute worst of circumstances. And good for you, it sounds like you did just that. And some of you listening to this right now, that's exactly where you are. You may not have, somebody may not have busted a window, but they busted a window in your dream. And it's not a coincidence that you just heard that story. That's another reason why you need to write a book. I've been telling Dana she needs to write a book. We're getting close to that, folks. But I love the fact that you said, I'm going to sell this stuff. Can you try? I mean, that that is hustle. That's, okay, I'm going to get back up and dust myself off and keep going. Well, and what it also, you know, looking back, I didn't feel this in the moment, but what I look back now and what I tell anyone that I mentor is like, are you willing to invest in yourself, right? Like I did not have that money again. I barely had it the first time. I had it started this with a $70,000 line of credit, you know, and my parents going, good luck. You know, I, you might want to keep your day job. It's got a great salary. Mm -hmm. So I did not have a plan for how that, but I believed in myself and I believed in how much I loved my budding company that had been open one day and was already empty. And it was such a beautiful motivator of 
30 days. You know, it, when you set a goal and sometimes they get set for you, but man, that, that is what inspires me. It's, I'm, I'm not financially inspired. I'm not um, pat on the back inspired. I'm inspired by what can I pull out of myself that I've never even known was possible. You actually opened this store in maybe the worst financial season to possibly do what you're doing. And for a lot of listeners, they've got a lot of excuses about why they're not launching now. And you could have had a lot of excuses. It's the worst time. And yet you still launched this and it was successful. So tell us your thought process when the economy crumbled and yet you were launching. What, what, what was that like for you? Well, we, uh, you know, I, I was at, uh, I used to run design for Land's End. So it was about a, you know, it was a $2 billion top line revenue business um, with a lot of people and a lot of customers. I think when I was there, one of the record days at Christmas was, I think we sent out over 180,000 packages in one day. So, Goodness. Uh, but, but interestingly, that also, it, it, a lot that I learned really, really helped us lay the foundation for what this business is going to become. And so uh, by working at J. Crew. Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, and Land's End. I, I and also growing up in retail, I, and I'd also worked in the food business where service is paramount and sort of job one. Um, we always felt like if we could put really great product at a really good price with really good service out there, that we really didn't have to worry about the economic upturns, downturns, sideways. We just would do our thing, and so that's kind of the way we we went at it in a. a um, business, I'd call him a friend, you could call him an acquaintance, mentor. I spoke to him after I'd left Jake, uh, after I'd left Land's Inn and asked him where the opportunity was. He said, well, wherever you feel it is. And it was so, um, and so I, I, I knew, and Ann was like, Sid, this is, this is crazy. We got five kids and we probably should go back to New York and just get a job doing what you're doing. And finally she relented. And then once she relented and we started working on the business, she got pretty pretty fired up she also had a great she had a degree in business so she was pretty good at accounting so she became the first CFO of the business um, but we launched you know I think a lot of my friends were kind of like what in the world are you doing you are you are <laughs> crazy you're moving to a city that you've never lived in before you're launching a business that everybody else is trying to get out of specializing in a classification tailored clothing that everybody is trying to get out of and so what are you, what are you thinking but I, I, I could just kind of I've been around the business long enough to kind of see the the um, field a little bit and understand where the open spots were so that's really what pushed us and I want to ask you about that Sid um, you were recently named by GQ magazine the number one independent men's store in the country. So congratulations. Thank you. That's, Thank you. that's really cool. And I think um, you've achieved that in large part because you bring sort of a different point of view to menswear. And I believe that's, um, you, you knew you wanted to be unique. And in response to Jeff's question, I think that's why you had confidence that you weren't just going to be one more of the same thing out there. Right. And that enabled you to power through a big downturn in the economy. Talk about your vision for the business and what it is that makes your store unique, what you believed in back when you launched. Well, I, I will say this, that along the way, when we did the, the numbers for the business in the business plan, 
Um, actually, another key point of the business plan is we said that there's absolutely not going to be a demographic to our business plan. And when you start planning that stuff too tightly, to me it loses a lot of its interest because my role in life or my position in life is, is how many people can I connect with? You know. When you say play too tightly, what, what do you what do you mean by that? we're going to be we're going to go after thirty three year olds? We're, that... we're not. We don't do that at all. Yeah. Our youngest customer ever is eleven. Our oldest customer ever is eighty seven. Mm. Uh, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity, your religion, your uh, your income bracket is. We don't even think about that. When you walk in the door, you've crossed the threshold and basically cast a vote for us. And so it's incumbent on us to take care of you so the first way we take care of you is are you thirsty you want a, want a cold drink or a hot drink make yourself at home and we don't at that point we don't even say how can we help you find something today or, or what are you looking for and and interestingly we at the same time you know it's a little bit like a, a great quarterback who has to to see that the the you know they got the strong side loaded up and the weak side's a little light but who's that lurking you know, about six yards back, and is he coming on a blitz? You've, you've got to have the field vision to understand what's going on. So when David walks in and he seems pretty low-key and, and kind of just looking around, you let him be. But if David came in with a brisk walk and asking questions pretty quickly, you've, your EQ has to pick up in, on that and go, okay, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. What, what, what you need? Because our, our role is, is how, do we, how do we get a guy in and out of the store as quickly as possible? or let them be. Yeah, and, and then and then what happened was, and when you, we realized that, okay, maybe there's new opportunity opening up, seven months into our business, we actually took a vacation out west of Wyoming. And from Salt Lake City up to Idaho Falls, um, we, we found out that Michael Hyatt, um, you know, little known Michael Hyatt was looking for a virtual assistant. And um, across Twitter, I secured a phone call with him. And then in Idaho Falls, I basically pitched him on our service. The next day, we negotiated a contract uh, while we were at some bear amusement park. And then he tweeted about our company, and it ruined our vacation. In a very good way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean it in a loving way. I mean, it, Mike really did an awesome job. And, 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 but I, I spent my rest of my vacation doing sales calls. And it, and it, and it was in every vertical that wasn't church. You know, so so for us, it was is one of those things like, okay, this is we've hit a new stride, and that was seven months in, and by then month fourteen, we were at a place where we actually broke even in our business, and that was probably the first time in my, you know, from my perspective, where I felt like I think we're gonna, you know, we think we're gonna make it. Like there's something to this, and and we just got to keep fighting. So is it just the two of you in the beginning? I know you had a virtual assistant at some point, but yeah, when did you get to a place where you begin to bring other people into the business? Yeah, sure. So for me, um, I had worked with a lady named Trisha. She was my virtual assistant for the old company I worked for. She was in Charlotte and I was in Atlanta. And so when I let her know that I was leaving to start this thing, I asked her if she would come on and work with us just five hours a week because that's all we could afford back in 2010. And so she technically you know, was right there alongside us as one of our first employees, or was the first Deep employee first. besides us as founders. And today she is now our COO. She runs, you know, the lion's share of our business, you know, along our CFO. So that's that it's, great. It's uh, in the early days. I mean, it was all we could afford was five hours a week with her. Yeah. But in terms of the business model, she was supporting us as a virtual assistant. Right. But then we also sourced virtual assistants to serve the clients that we were securing. So recruiting, 
you know, was always part of our premise. I know a lot of business owners start out doing their craft and then create a business around it. That was never our model. I was never the virtual assistant who wanted to make a virtual assistant business. Yeah. Um, so we always knew that, you know, finding and retaining amazing talent was a tenant of our business, which has been challenging, right? It's, we don't make widgets, you know, yeah, we, we partner yeah. with people and there's a yeah. lot of variables at play at that, but we feel like the reward is definitely worth the risk and the work. All right, Jeff, you already referenced, you've helped 200 folks as they have set about a launch. Um, you run into the common issues that, that launchers seem to face. What are some of the biggies that jump out? Uh, a lot of them. One, um, so the first one I would say is this, um, you brought it up, the tension of work versus life, right? So what happens is that oftentimes people are always working and equally never working. Mm. You know what I mean by that? So they have their phone on them and you, I have a feeling there's someone in their head going, yeah, I understand that right now listening to this, right? Where you have your phone on you at every moment of every day. You sleep with your phone. You wake up with your phone. Every single moment is consumed by this work and you're taking pulse on it and you're never separating yourself from it. So that's the first thing that I notice over and over again. When you don't ever stop thinking about your work, you never have a creative perspective on it. So that's the first challenge I have. So it's like they're always working and equally never fully working. Because when you never take a break from it, then you never get a refocused perspective on it. Uh, the second thing is people pursuing their passion without a plan. So this is where, you know, I've heard this in the startup world a lot that, man, just pursue whatever makes you happy. It's like, happy? If you start pursuing that all the time, you're not gonna be happy anymore. So like, think about the differences between what brings you joy in life and things like that. And it doesn't always have to consume every part of your startup world. Um, the other thing that I would say related to this is understanding the difference between a hobby a project and a business or organization. First thing we always challenge people is, is how are you gonna get to a budget of $100,000? That might be intimidating to hear from this. Other people that might be like, oh, only $100,000, you may you think that's too small. But for a baseline thing and a reason for argument, it might be different for everyone. But if you can't get to a budget of $100,000, then you can't really probably pay yourself much at all. This is a common, benchmark that we have. If, if you can get to a budget of 100 grand, you might be able to pay yourself half of that potentially, which is kind of a, a salary for a good startup situation, if I'm really honest. Um, and so if you don't have a budget of $100,000, then be careful of what you're creating. Don't quit your day job too soon. Like understand, sometimes we have hobbies. Hobbies are things that bring you happiness. They bring you joy. They bring you um, love for what you do, but that's probably a side gig. A project usually has a certain amount of time that you're working on it for. So it has an end date to the work that you have. But a business and organization, you have to get to that $100,000 very quickly, and then you have a plan of how that plays out in your life. And what about organization? Just speak to that real quick. That's, that's, the whole, that's when you're launching an enterprise. Yeah, so I use kind of those terms differently. So like we're a nonprofit, so a lot of people in the nonprofit world would 
refer to an organization um, or a business might have a different perspective on it. There's, and then from the $100,000 part, there's like, do you have a product? Do you have a series of prod products? Do you have a, um, a professionally managed business? From, there's different levels as you go up from there. How would you help someone come to the realization? I mean, you, you did a great job now just defining hobby project organization. How, have, how would you help someone? What are the key questions someone can ask themselves to say, you know what, quick self-assessment here. What am I really doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think people don't like to talk about money. Nobody does. Like, that's like the, it's the thing you're not supposed to talk about. But very quickly, if someone was in my office today and they came with me an idea and I'd say, well, what are your sales? I guess, and then you can start to categorize where they're at in the project. That sounds like Shark Tank question well, right just, out of the gate, right? It's not meant to intimidate someone. It's actually meant to start to categorize where it's at. The average Etsy store brings in $12,000 revenue a year. So there's many, many people that are on Etsy that are makers, right? If you're bringing in $12,000 a year, you shouldn't quit your job. Let, let's just be honest about that because you're going to set yourself up for a huge disappointment. That's, that's the common amount. So let's not, let's not recommend everyone quit everything if that's the case. Yeah, I, 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 want, I thought that was really helpful because I think it's really, it's another big thing, right? Someone, someone wants the, what I've seen very common with launchers, let me say that, is the significance that they desire from telling their family and friends, I own a business. I'm running an organization. And it could be them. And they're making, there's no, there's no donor, there are no donors, there's no revenue, but I have my 501c3 status, or I have an LLC, and I am really, and it's just a sense of pride, because I see the admiration in my family and friends' eyes to see me go out and pursue something that it's painful sometimes to acknowledge it's just a hobby. Well, and equally, sometimes it's admiration from your family and friends, and sometimes it's doubt. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. The people that are closest to you are the ones that are actually going to make your launch successful. Without those people, part of your project, if you're launching a Kickstarter and they're not going to support it, it's not going to win. It just, it won't. You, the people closest to you have to be all in with you to an extent, right? Those are the places that you start are the people that are most close to you. So that's a really good sounding board of whether you should pursue it fully. If all the, no, there's going to be, you're, okay, your dad, your mom, someone like that is going to give you, they're going to ask you the hard questions, right? But they're going to believe in you either way, but they're going to ask you really hard questions. But that surrounding circle, those, those close-knit circles, we rely on them for an idea to get off the ground because they have to share it with others. So you need to listen to that sound advice. Jeff, I know you, as you meet with folks and counsel them, you, I've heard you talk about how you sense that a lot of launchers feel alone. You talk about loneliness. Share a little bit about the importance of uh, being in community, having some kind of support group. Uh, what counsel would you give around that? Yeah, it's, I'm sure people listening to this are lonely right now. They think no one else understands what they're going through especially their friends and family that we were just talking about. I think when you put yourself out there 
and are vulnerable and needing other people to buy whatever you have, to support whatever you have, it, it is an interesting and lonely place. Because some days you get great responses and the days you think are going to be great responses, you get no response. That's a hard place to manage. So I always talk to people about this idea of the conference room table. So next time, wherever work you're at, maybe some office that you go into, and there's a conference room empty, sit at a conference room table by yourself. Sit there and imagine that you're the president of the United States and you're in the situation room and you're going through the, the greatest tension moment of the year and who do you want sitting at that table with you? Mm. Who do you want sitting in those chairs? These are people that believe in you enough to say no to you and they're people that believe in you so much so that they want the most success for your life. And start inviting those people into your work. Start inviting them into speaking into the process. Before you launch something, don't do it on a whim. Send it to them first. Get their opinion so they can help make it better. Now let's talk about coaching uh, your, your clients mm-hmm. and uh, whether it's the band Perry, Shania Twain, or people that maybe not be as familiar. But I'd, I'd really like to talk about the people that are very famous because in, in watching you with Justin, you were, you were very honest. And I think I would imagine that's what people who've experienced massive success, they need somebody that can be trustworthy, which you certainly mm-hmm. are. So what, what are some coaching tips that you, that you implement? Well, I think that honesty, authenticity in what you're doing is paramount because um, at, at those levels of success, you know, people that aren't in the entertainment industry, or very specifically the music industry, they, they don't really understand the demands, number one, on that one person and, and the expectations that people have. And the public are uh, can be, you know, incredibly good people and then they can be very needy and, and also kind of mindless in what they, they think you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And, and fulfilling everybody's wishes and, and somebody like Justin for example uh, who, who I love dearly and, and you know he went through growing up in front of people and and took a lot of heat just for normal things and he he has a tender heart and, and he gives tremendously in ways that other people never see mm-hmm. every every terminally ill child on the planet I mean during the tour it, it, it would break your heart and he would stand there and just love on kids and it, it takes a lot for a young person, much less somebody my your age, to right. be able to do that and to mm-hmm. give that much of themselves. Um, so being able to help them understand boundaries, mm-hmm. I think, is paramount. And, and also knowing where my own exist in that. Mm-hmm. Being able to uh, walk my walk, and, and God has really shown me some things about that. If we have time, I'll, I'll share one of those mm-hmm. with you. But to really... You know, live by example to show them um, this is why I say this. And, and yes, I've lived my life and I've done a lot of things outside of the lines. And because of that, here's the information. Not to be judgmental of them uh, because they have to find their own path and understand it, but always be that sounding board for mm-hmm. them. And to offer wisdom when you can and to be able to answer honestly their questions very openly and and again not being judgmental but Mm -hmm. saying you know here here's your choice and then i'm going to work with you in it but here's what's going to happen if we do this and then to to genuinely care about them Mm -hmm. the truth is important because the higher up on the totem pole people go the more difficult the truth is to discern and the more people who attach themselves to you for other 
motivations. Right. So they're going to say to you what they think you need to hear versus what you really want to hear mm-hmm. or need to hear. Mm-hmm. So I think that, did that answer your question? Absolutely. And is that where uh, I see, you know, I know you as Jan, but so many people know you as Mama Jan. And when when you come into the studios, if you're ever, ever able to do this, Jan has, you know, um, there's very famous people. Yeah, but it, but it doesn't say best wishes, Usher. It says Mama Jan. And then there's this outpouring of affection for you. Mm. Is the Mama Jan the, hey, I'm going to be real and honest and help you and encourage you? Is that where that comes from? Mm. You know, I, 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 love, I love people. I love mm-hmm. God put a big heart in me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just love, I love my clients. Mm-hmm. I, and regardless of what goes down, they, I'm going to be there. Mm-hmm. If they call me, if they don't have anybody else, if they're not famous, they can still call me, and they and that's what they know, mm-hmm. because I know that all of that goes away. It can it can come quick. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that can go on. If any one of my clients needed me at two o'clock in the morning, I'm probably going to be up editing vocals, and they can call me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to tell them the truth. I don't really care, and I really kind of don't. I understand that it drives business. I appreciate all the fame and fortune junk. I love the work. I love what I do. Twenty, when you're talking about other people and lifting them up, and you're showing a day in the life that earns the permission for that other twenty percent to ask for something. The problem that we see with churches, with clients, with any company really who's running a, a social media page is that it's almost a hundred percent ask. It's, it's the, here's what we're doing and why you should sign up. It's buy this, it's buy this, here's our product, it's so great. And it just becomes ask after ask. And you get burned out with it, it just becomes, you know, advertising uh, when really social media has an advertising aspect to it, but really it's it's a social platform uh, and it should be built for relationships. And so you build that up over time, you earn the ability to ask them. And I think Van definitely models that well with his insurance agency. I mean, I'm a happy customer, but we see post after post about how he just loves on other people and is lifting other people up. He's not selling a whole lot on there, but every once in a while there's, hey, we need to pick up some more clients or, hey, there's going to be a, a rate increase. And it it really softens the blow. I mean, he actually went through that recently where every insurance agency uh, in Georgia is is raising their rates and got permission to do that. And, you know, that's out of his control as a, you know, a local agency. But, he put that out there to say, hey, you know what? It was just done with, with so much empathy, uh, for one, and uh, the way that he presented it. But because people were already trusting him and, and built that up, it was okay. You know, people knew that he was he really cared and he was going to walk them through and he gave them options and uh, it was well done. If he had done post after post about just selling and selling and selling, then I guarantee there'd be a ton of negative comments on also we're going to raise your rates, you know? Mm-hmm. Thanks. So, you know, and I think for any company, consistency is key. I mean, just build a system. If you don't have a calendar of posting, it's it's the easiest thing to start. Um, it's the hardest thing to keep doing. So does that, I, I love that, Van. So, so let's say, so you're doing 60, 20, 20. Mm. And so let's say the next 10 Facebook posts. Okay, mm-hmm. so 60, 20, 20. What is the when you say consistency? Is that three posts a day, two posts a day? One? How does that work? Um, I would say go into your Facebook insights and find out when your fans are online because there's a everybody has a whale, and so if you don't know what your whale is, go find your whale. Everybody's Facebook insights has 
there's a setting in Facebook where you can see based on your post when your fans are actually on Facebook and it just ironically ends up looking like a big whale. So the top end, the highest part of the whale is when your people are online the most. So that's got to be one time. The second time would be, you know, just probably usually is in the morning and one in the, in the evening, which leaves room for that instantaneous post throughout the day. All right. My first question for both of you is, what do you do the first 90 days? I mean, I think that I'm just going to be really tactical. Like, what are you doing to leave well you're in, you know, for your other team? And what are you doing to onboard well in the new role? Well, this might be the entire podcast, actually, because <laughs> I think the first 90 days may be the most important aspect of any new role, new position, a move. I, I think, quite honestly, first and foremost is end well so you can begin well. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the time, you've probably, if you're out there, you've probably had a new opportunity and that is not like just instantaneously. It's kind of like, hey, in two weeks or six months or three weeks or four months, you're going to be taking on this new role. And immediately, where does your head go? To the new role. That's right. New ideas. And it's it's so important to end well so that you can begin well. And the reason I think so is because as soon as the announcement is made, who do you think all those people are calling? Your old team. They're like, okay, Jeff's coming. What's he like? You know, what is he like? And how does he lead? And what does that look like? And was he, was he a good employee? And yes and no. And I think it's really important to end well with celebration and recognition of the, of the folks that maybe have been working with you. Or maybe you just have a role where you're, you just got some projects you need to really finish well mm-hmm. so that you can begin with no baggage, no misunderstandings on exactly what was required for you to leave that job well so that you can start fresh and new and have your thinking straight as you move into a new role. That's awesome. And I'll give you some examples of that, too, because I couldn't agree more. But we're next door to Buckhead Church. Well, 15 years ago, it was just a vacant lot, and I left Chick-fil-A, and the whole idea was we're going to do video church, and will this work? And it, you know, nowadays, video church is kind of a common thing, but back in those days, it was really this unknown, will it kind of work thing. So I, at the time, I think there were 70 people in the Chick-fil-A marketing department. I wrote every single one of them and the executive committee a handwritten note. I didn't say this, but basically I was inferring in the note, if video church doesn't work, can I come back? (laughs) And and I wanted to leave really, really well. And I put a two-month notice in. There was a big project that I was working on at a big event that seminar, like Chick-fil-A had, they used to call it seminar. And I just didn't want to leave, you know, in the middle of that. Uh, put a two-month notice in, but I wanted to leave so well that I honored the, as Shane was saying, I honored um, the people there. And and then when I l- left Buckhead Church, I, I hand wrote a note to every staff person telling them how grateful I was for them. And for me, I just feel like that brings closure, but it also brings honor. And the challenge sometimes is if you don't have a good relationship with the organization or whatever, and you're like, I'm just, I'm just going to quit and move on. Sure. There are all kinds of circumstances, but sometimes you burn that bridge to your own detriment. Mm-hmm. And there's the, there's the old analogy that, uh, be kind to people as you go up the ladder, because you'll, you may see them as you go down the ladder as well. And so I think this, this whole idea of honoring the people that you worked with that Shane's talking about is a really, really important way to begin well. Well, and to build on that too, as well, Jeff, I mean, most of the time, you're going to have to go back to somebody that you worked with on another project, or you're going to need their influence. And I can't 
count. I mean, literally the number of times I've had to go back to an old team on a project, a new project that I have and just say, hey, we're working together. You want to make sure that that relationship is intact. I just think that's good, sound business. And it's the right thing to do personally and professionally. And, we, and it goes back to your personal brand. Yeah. You know, we've been taught a lot about personal branding and, and David's led out on that on the Launch University team. And, and how you leave really determines more or dictates really more about your personal brand than it does the organizational yeah. brand. Yeah. Well, I think that also speaks a little bit to an inferred idea, right? That if you are climbing the ladder using some tactics that probably aren't very kind or ethical that's going to come back quickly too, right? Because I think the idea, like, hey, if you're if you're being underhanded, um, and I mean, obviously, I don't believe any of our listeners will do that, um, but if you are, it just kind of reminds you, like, oh yeah, there's a how I get that promotion does matter also. Yeah, odds are you got that promotion doing that, but odds are you won't get the next one doing that. That's right, because that will follow you. Yeah. Indeed. So my, some other question becomes, how do you start well? So we're talking about the onboarding process. So you you know you 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 finished well. What are you doing to start well? It depends, obviously, on the organization, but that that said, I think one of the most important things that you can do to start well is to start well relationally mm-hmm. because you, and again, this may be different, but more often than not, the real pressure of the work hasn't happened yet, so you have the best time possible to build relationships. I remember when I started at Chick-fil-A, David Salyers, our mutual friend, told me, he goes, hey, this is a, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Now, different organization, you know, all of that. That said, you usually you usually don't have a whole lot of time once you get into the busyness of the of the work to really focus on relationships. Obviously, we should always do that. But it seems like that first 90 days, if I had to pick or choose, I would say focus on the relationships over the work. Mm-hmm. While it may that may seem a little bit odd. I've got a friend who's 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 feeling that pressure right now. He's like, I want to get going and start doing something. And I'm like, hey, that I know your organization and they're gonna send work your way. But in the meantime, in these early days, really focus and get to know uh, the folks around your office. And I would just say one of the ways you do that is just walk around. Yeah, and I would, to build on that, Jeff, I mean, it's very well said. It's like, I think going in, we sometimes overestimate the importance of getting goals accomplished, yeah. business objectives, and we underestimate the value of personal relationships right. because it is in those personal relationships that gets all the work done. And if you don't spend time and the groundwork necessary to have conversations, I would even argue in the first 90 days, your first 30 days ought to be asking the people closest to the work what they would do differently. What's their after action review? What's been going well? What's not been going so well? What would you do differently? And build off of that. Build on ideas to that. That will set you up for your next 60 days extremely well. And again, it comes back to this premises. Sometimes we just overestimate what the organization's asking us to do in a short amount of time. And we underestimate the value of those relationships that can help us get there. Just being knowledgeable about the company that you're interviewing with. I, I've... I've been in so many interviews where they, honestly, the person, the interviewee just didn't know a whole lot about the the role or the position or the company. And this can be an internal move or an interview or an Mm. external interview, right? And so I think being a little bit knowledgeable, read up on as much as you possibly can prior to that that opportunity. So Home Depot's in our backyard. If you're interviewing for a job for Home Depot, I mean, 
read the book about Home Depot and how it got started and some mm-hmm. of the history there. Yeah, does it take some time? Yeah, absolutely. But could mean the next 20 years of your life or the next five years of opportunity just by reading a book or an article. Mm. Um, be aware of the financial situation they're in. There's Most of the time you can Google it and you can see you find a bunch of information about that. But be aware. Don't be uh, absent-minded when it comes to being prepared for the opportunity. Don't just assume that people aren't going to ask you those questions. Most of the time people are going to dig in and go, for example, so why would you want to work at Home Depot? Well, to be able to go back to culture and how it got started, I think is a really good opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you just need to do a little homework. That's fantastic. I'll build on that. Uh, be a customer if you can. That's not always possible. But if you're able to, to consume the product or service that this organization um, is providing, I think that's really good. I think beyond just knowing the facts, what can you know about the culture sort of the ethos, the values. Can you talk to people that um, have been there or are there now to understand just the heartbeat of the organization? One, to figure out, is it really a good fit for you? So be honest with yourself about that. But that can influence how you're going to show up as well. You're not trying to, I think, be a phony, but can you manifest that culture when you go to to interview? A funny story, you know, David, picked up on be a customer. Um, I can remember a specific interview. Somebody was interviewing for Chick-fil-A and they said they were vegetarian and I was fine. I'm fine with vegetarians. I have a lot of vegetarians in my life, but they hadn't even eaten a salad. I mean, they were like, (laughs) they hadn't even tried any products. I'm like, how in the world do you expect to work at Chick-fil-A if you haven't even tried a salad yet? You know, so um, it was a little tough there at the beginning of the interview. We we warmed up a little bit, but um, try the product, man. Be a customer. Okay, everybody, so thank you for hanging with us for part one of our 100th episode celebration. That's over two years of Launch University, sitting down with leaders all over the country, trying to figure out how we all can be more successful more often with our launches. And just to recap, so today you heard from Dennis Manola, Sid Mashburn, Brian and Shannon Miles, Jeff Schinnerbarger, Jan Smith. Justin Dean and Van Beard. You also heard from the Launch University team. And so we want to go that next level with you, right? There's there there might be some unique circumstance that 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 got prompted and you, and you had a question from today. You said, I wish I could just ask someone this question. Well, we want to do that for you. So coming up soon, we're going to be sitting around a table. Jeff, Shane, David and I are going to be gathering together to answer your questions. We want to have your question be a part of those. So if you go to launch university, that's youniversity.com forward slash question, then we will take on your questions about launching an idea, leading a project or growing your career. So some of you were listening to this today and, and, and something resonated with you, or maybe you heard an idea and it connected with a current situation, but you said, I just need a little bit more context about how to apply that to me, or there's something I've been wrestling with. I just need a, another person who might be to, uh, you know, speaking to that. Well, we want to help you. And that happens by you submitting a question for our upcoming community Q&A episode. So before Jeff, Shane, David, and I gather together, you can do that by doing one of three simple things. One, 
you can go to launchyouuniversity.com forward slash question. And there's a simple widget right there. You can record right on our website. Um, the second thing you can do, you can give us a call. We actually have a phone number if that's how you like to roll. And that's uh, 678-744-7909. And you can leave a question for us. Or you can fill out a form on our website that if you just want to type it out because you're maybe a little concerned uh, about about sharing your voice on the podcast. But here's the thing. This is a community. This is a safe place. And for us, hearing your voice matters, right? We want to hear the passion. We want everybody to hear about it. And guess what? You can also plug what you're doing. You can say, hey, this is Kevin. I'm working on this project that you can go see at this place or this address and then ask your question. We'd want the community to hear about the great things happening around us and you sharing your voice and um, will be a big part of how we want to do that. So Give us your question. Go to launchuniversity.com forward slash question for a reminder on how to do that with a couple of tips and guidelines we have for you. All right. So thank you again for your support of this podcast. It means so much to us. The testimonials we get. Some of you have stopped us when you've seen us out in public. And, and I will tell you, for all of us, with the work we put into this, your positive feedback means the world. But so does your feedback about how we can improve this podcast. We said all the time, feedback is your friend and we want that feedback from you. So if you can leave a rating or review on iTunes, that will go a long way to help us. First of all, have people discover the podcast, but we actually do read them. And so we want to make sure you, you give us feedback there. Um, why iTunes? iTunes is like the Google search of a podcast. So if you can leave a podcast rating or review there, that'll be very helpful to us. Also, we have show notes. We believe it's a part of our job to make sure that you can you know, go back to the ideas you heard on this podcast very easily. So if you found yourself driving or working out when you're listening to this podcast, we have links to all of the episodes that were included in this right on one simple spot. If you go to launchuniversity.com forward slash podcast, you'll find the show notes for this episode. And then the last thing is this. Please subscribe. We want you to grow on the go. This is just a small sample, a small taste of what's been happening on this podcast for over two years now. And we believe that if you're willing to automate this process by letting it come to you every single Thursday, that you are going to improve over time. I once heard someone refer to listening to podcasts in the car. You turn your car into car university, right? This this opportunity to go and, and learn every single day, every single week as you commute um, around and, and take care of your responsibilities throughout the week. So thank you for, once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone who's been listening since the beginning and welcome all of our new community members to Launch University. And we look forward to having you join us for part two of the 100th episode celebration. Take care and catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.